Bible says we're created to do good works. But God doesn't just say, go do some good works and I'll be right here watching and judging. He provides the right people with the right skills, or to put it another way, the right gifts at the right time in order that they get done. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series Propel, the Serving Mindset, with this message entitled Tools for Serving. Thank you for joining us today. you, if you will, to pray with me, and we jump into the teaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Now, Father, you created the very souls, the spirits that, that we have now that need to hear from your Word, and we ask, would you, would you feed us now from your Word? Would you do it in such a way that we might even this day be marked, that we might have a different way of thinking about the truth that we're going to explore and that they would be your thoughts and that they might transform us more into your likeness that you might be honored all the more. We pray our God that by the end of this series something's going to happen that's going to release us into a life of serving as we've never served before bringing great, great honor to you, to your name. Grant that, we pray. We ask in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. All right, I'll give you a little warning about the series. This series is in a collision course with basically the consumerism of the church today. You realize, I'm sure, how consumeristic the church has become, and we're a part of it. Every one of us have this longing, and it's an increasing longing because of the feeding that we've been giving to this desire that we have things that meet our needs, and that becomes the high, high priority. If you look at the church as God intended it to be, it was not about consumerism at all. It was the idea that we would follow our master Jesus, and he said, I come not to be served, but I come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And now we're to follow and serve as he served himself. Well, unfortunately, instead of the church being as it originally kind of began to come out, and and even in the generation that I can remember prior to me, and in fact, when we first came here to Perimeter, start in 77. There was still some some bit of the realities of the idea that the church was here to be a home, to care for God's people, yes. And and it was a, a mission. Man, let's reach out and let's touch lost people. Let's bring them into an understanding of the love of God. But it was also to be seen as an equipping station. It was a place where you say, now let's equip the saints so that they can go out to do the work of ministry, whatever that may be. Now, much more like a commissary. It's, it's like now it seems the, the motto of the, the thinking of church for many throughout this country and beyond in the world is this simple cry, church, help me to help me. I want to get helped, and I think I can best help me, and if you can tell me how for me to help me, I would really appreciate it. That's, that seems to be the mindset of church today. 
It's not just church. The church has just picked up on what's going on in the world today. If you look at volunteerism for the military, and how, how do we attract volunteers to come into the military that we need so badly? It wasn't that many years ago. In fact, most of us can remember the very slogan, I'll start it, you finish it. Uncle Sam, what? Wants you. So the idea was, hey, you've got a nation here that, that's saying, come, we need you. We want you to come help the bigger story. You be a part of it. It wasn't that many years later, and it hasn't been that many years ago, that that slogan gone. Now, you finish the slogan. Be all you can be. Now, now it's turned around. Now it's about us. Do you know when I came here in 77, it was amazing how close needs and wants were of the Christian community. What we needed, we wanted. What we wanted, we needed. Let me tell you, it is a different story. I spend time with pastors trying to help them navigate through the storm that's been created where now it's here are our needs and here are our wants. And they're so separated from each other. What we want, we don't really need. And what we really need, we don't have that much of a longing for. And pastors are pulling out their hair saying, what do I do? If I, if I don't do this, they don't stay. I don't build the crowd. If I, if I give them what they need over here, they don't seem to want it. They'll go somewhere else where they can get what they want. What do I do? What do I do? It's just a huge issue today in church. Well, this series, as I said, is on a collision course with that mindset. We talked about it last week, the me first mindset. We've got to see what does God have to say. Now, in light of that, we're doing a series that I've entitled Propelled, and the subtitle there is A Serving Mindset. Last week, as I introduced the series, I made the comment, now be sure you understand this is about a mindset, but it's not just a mindset. That will not get us where we need to go. We will not be propelled into a life of serving Unless we first have a mindset, yes, but then we've got to have tool set. We've got to have the right tools to get us where we need to go, to do what we need to do, to help people the way we need to help people. And then all you've got to do then is you find the right workshop and you say, where do I see God calling me? Where would I best serve? And, and then we find that location and we, we begin to give primarily in that arena and using the tools we have because the mindset that we have embraced. So last week I tried to help kind of get this idea of a mindset. We looked through Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. We raised four questions. I'm going to throw them up just real quickly as a review. They're in your, your notes, by the way. And by the way, any notes, I know we don't have our screens today and all, any notes, you can go on our website, you can go to our podcast, and there's a, a little PDF there that'll show all of our notes. If you go on our Perimeter app, you can find it very, very simply. But let's put up these four questions, quick review. What was God's intention of putting mankind on earth? And we found out in Ephesians 2 that the idea, the whole idea was that we would be a people who were designed for good works in order to glorify God. But we live a life of good works. The second question, why does every person begin life with a me first mindset? And the reason is because we're a broken people. When sin entered into this world, let me tell you, the description, disobedient, dead first of all, disobedient depraved, doomed. The description of Ephesians 2 says, now we're in this horrible, broken condition. And as a result, do you know we're alienated 
in four arenas of life, we're alienated from God spiritually, alienation. We're alienated from ourselves in the sense that psychologically we begin to think the wrong way. And it begins to, to cause us to, to hurt and to, and to have feelings and thoughts that are not right and all the damage that's done psychologically. We're alienated to our own self. We're certainly alienated from other people. And so there's a, there's a, a relational alienation that you might call a social alienation. And then physically, we get older and our body falls apart. We die. What happens even to childhood cancer, all the issues that are for little children today and their, their little bodies, they seem so wholesome and young and strong and they're broken. And God says, okay, we got we to gotta figure, what am I going to do here? Let me tell you what I'm going to do. And then we come to the last question. And the last question is this. Why does God enable us? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back to three. I think I skipped three, didn't I? Go back to three. What does God do to enable us to have a serving mindset? And the text there tells us that, oh, man, he recreated us. He literally recreated us. And it talks about how he's now taken us into the heavenlies and what he's done to us. Why? So that that me first mindset can be absolutely destroyed. It can be destroyed. Then we close with why. Why does God enable us to have a serving mindset? And we said then that the reason that he does this, the text says in verse 7, is because of his great love for us. You mean God sent his son to die and all that he did just because he loves us? Well, yeah. Yeah. But hold on. There's a motive behind that motive. There is a deeper motive. And so you go to chapter 3. Verse 10, and this is what it says. It says, in order that. In other words, why is all this taking place? All that he's done for us. Recreating us. Making us alive. Raising us up. Why does he do that? Enthroned us in the heavenlies. Why does he do that? In order that the manifold wisdom of God might be known through the church. And then it says, to the rulers, the authorities, and the heavenly places. And so we closed out with the great aha. Why is he doing this? Why has he done all that he's done? And it has to do with the vindication of his name. His name has been poisoned throughout time, even prior to time. And so he says, here's the plan. There's going to be a day when all things come to an end as we know it on earth. And the rulers and authorities, including Satan, including the demonic forces, including the pagan world, everybody that's rejected me, they've been, they've been accusing me all these days. Oh, you don't do what you say you'll do. You ruin lives. And the accusations just go on and on. You know, even the Christian community, we've bought in. How many Christians for whom Christ gave his life and died are saying, Oh, you know, God's not fair and God shouldn't do that. And I can't believe God. Why would God allow? And it took my loved one. And how come I had this marriage? How come this had to happen? Why did my children? How come God does? God, if God were loving God, he wouldn't. And he says, hold on. And so I suggested that what's going to happen in eternity, I love to think of it pictured this way, like a, a great picture, a beautiful painting, placed on a huge easel for all the authorities, all of the rulers, 
all of the pagan worlds, for all mankind, might be out there watching when he pulls over the canvas and he points to his church made perfect in her glory. And he says, look, there's my church. I did everything I said I would do. And that's what he's going to say. You need to understand this. I told you, Christians, that everything works together for good to those that love him, called according to my purpose. And you didn't believe it fully until now you're on the easel made perfect. And the world sees that, and that's where the Philippians 2 passage, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is who he claimed to be. And he says, that's why I did what I did. That's why I love you so much. That's why, it, you've got to understand that. And here's the aha, uh -huh. until we get that, until we understand it is not about you and me, it's about him. And you get that and you say, oh, it is about him. And once you get that, then you go, oh, oh. And the me first mindset begins to change through the power that God has given to us by the work of Christ. Now, there's the mindset, but I know it'll happen. Even if you go, yes, it is all about you. We're going to be intimidated to go into a world that's broken and say, okay, how am I going to help? What, what can I do? And that's where God gives an incredible plan. At the ascension, he gives gifts to us. But it's not just spiritual gifts he gives to us. He gives to us three great tools, the first two of which I'm going to just say a few comments about. And we're going to start into the third tool today. We'll wrap it up next week. But I want you to understand the tools that God has given to us. They are threefold. Now think about this. Imagine the first responders at 9-11. We all have those images just, I mean, burned in our minds as the towers collapse. And the next thing you see, you see these first responders coming in, particularly the firemen. They don't just come walking in and they're casuals. No, they've got on an incredible suit of armor to help them, protect them. But more than that, they're carrying all kinds of tools with them. They come on an incredible truck that's got tools on it. They've been trained. They know how to use these things. And then they put a tank on their back. Then they take, they took a jaws of life and they say, we're going to have to have these because people are going to be trapped under all the debris and so forth. We got to, we got to help rescue these people. They've got all of these tools and to the degree they have the right tools and they are willing and trained to use those tools to that degree, they would be effective. Let me tell you, folks, it's the same way with us. God says, okay, you got to get over the me first mindset. You get through that and you say, okay, I am here to serve a broken world. How do I do that? And he says, here's how you do it. Three tools. Number one, though it's the most important, I'm not spending much time. The series is not so much devoted on this, but I got to say it, it's our lives. It is our lives. I like to call it, we call it around here, life on life. Here's the way Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians. He says, having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, listen to this, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Let me show you a second text. But I will most gladly 
spend and be expended for your souls. See, this is the teaching of our master. He came along, he said, look, here's the way it works, folks. I'm going to model for you. I'm going to live it out for you. I'm going to die to provide the power for you. But you've got to see, it's all about you giving it away. It's you rescuing a broken and an alienated world. He says, you're going to understand this in time, but you've got to know this. The way it works is this way. You don't come to be served, but you come to serve. Same thing I did. You don't come being first, you come being last. The least of these shall be the greatest of these. If you want to receive, then what you want to do is you want to give. It's all backwards to the way the me first mindset works. You flip it around and watch the joy that comes in life. But more than that, watch what happens to the world that's broken. I'm putting you out. And first of all, you just simply use the lives that you've given us. I am convinced that the greatest need that people have is the investment of another person's life to their life. I've watched it in this church now for years, years and years, people saying, man, I'm telling you, I've been in this church, I love the church, and this is good, and I, but, but let me tell you, this has been a life-changing year for me. This has been a difference maker for me. And you hear that story over and over, and what they say, well, there's this person in the church, and it was usually through a journey group, but but somebody invested their life in me. Oh, I was so-and-so, and this is what this person did for me. They came along, and they just didn't give me something. They gave me themselves, and they allowed me to, to learn life. And uh, I think of a guy in my discipleship group who had people live, he and his wife had people live in their home that are, that are destitute and all, just to say, hey, we're not going to just give you what, you know, so hand out. I, I want to give you beyond that. Let's give you our life. And, and it's the life that impacts the life as important as the resources are. Folks, we're talking about love. Nothing impacts a person like love. And no way do people see love till they see a life given. Give your life away. Watch what happens. There's a video I'd love to show now, but screens don't work. <laughs> I'll probably bring it back next week. But you'll see what we're talking about when I talk about life impacting life. Remember that for next week. Let's look at number two. Number two is our material and financial resources. I don't want us to underestimate the importance or devalue the importance of the resources that we can give when we can't even give our life to somebody. There's often the opportunity to give our resources. The early church modeled this to the extreme. To the extreme. In Acts chapter 2... Watch what we read in Acts 2, verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and, were, and sharing them with all as everyone might have need. Now, if you go to the two chapters later, in fact, let me just put it up too. Two chapters later, this is what you see in chapter 4. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them. Think about that, land and houses. Bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had need. I realize that people have used this to argue for socialism, which is a big topic today because we have a candidate running on a socialistic platform. Please don't go to the Bible to support it. Don't go to that text because socialism is different. Socialism is when you're required by the authority, whether it be the church here or whether it be 
the government in this country or anywhere else. And they say, no, 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 this is what you have to give. This was voluntary. It was totally voluntary. They did nothing wrong to keep their land, to keep their houses. But there was such a spirit of, hey, we're on a mission to help a broken world. Look how many people are in need. Some of my resources in abundance could help them. Here, you take what I've got and use it, distribute it according to the needs of the broken people around us. It's so very important. Do you know there are many of us here that have far more resources in the material and financial world than we have time? Little kids, big family, job, demands, all the stuff that's on us. Don't underestimate the ability of just what we can do to help a broken world in our giving. And you as a church holistically model it incredibly, incredibly. There's a man that has impacted my life in a big way. You've heard his name, most of you, Dr. John Edmund Haggai. He's the guy that gave the little quote attempt, something so great for God, it's doomed to fail, it's God be in it. Challenged me with that years and years ago. I'll never forget him telling me. He said, Randy, don't you ever, ever forget your people will be busy people. They work hard. They have calls into the business world and all the things that they have to do. They won't have a lot of time, but they'll give the resources. And he said, don't ever forget, money is converted energy. I'll never forget that. You applaud them for their energy that they gave so that they could turn around and give to those that are broken and in need. You know, we decided years ago, we're going to focus. We're going to focus hard. We're going to run hard. We're going to make a difference in some key strategic areas. And so we picked a few of those areas. We picked poverty. We thought about the importance of education. We said justice, incredible issue of justice. We've got to address that issue. We then said, let's, talk, let's think about families and the crisis in families today. We think about the strategic need to church plant. And then we said, what about leadership training and development? And so we said, okay, let's take those areas primarily. And I mean, let's hit them hard locally and go beyond as far as we can go. And how does that happen? I mean, you have no clue the hundreds of thousands of people over the last few years, hundreds of thousands of people who are in broken condition that have been aiding to help because of the generosity of what you guys do. It's incredible. I think it's over just through our Kingdom Investment Fund alone in the last few years, I think it's $16 million has been generated just through that one fund of our church. That is include the other giving that we do in our other ministries and so forth. I mean, it's incredible how God uses you as a church. And you don't get to have the life on life. And, that, and I'm sorry you don't. But I'll tell you this, know this, do not underestimate the power of your financial and your material resources. Where you can give life, give life. When you can't, give resources. There's a third area. There's a third tool. And this is where we're going to land for the next weeks. We're going to go, obviously, we, next week I'll go a little further on this, in this area of kind of introducing what we're going to call our spiritual gifts we're going to run deep into understanding all the different gifts. And you know, some of you are now saying, well, gifts? I have no clue what you're talking about. Let me give you a definition of spiritual gifts. Here's the definition that I've come up with that I use. Let's put it up. It says, a gift is a God-given ability of Christ, which God entrusts to each of his people in order to involve them in the task of bringing healing to an alienated world. Now, at the ascension, 
We believe, and this is the common understanding, that he gave gifts to his people that we receive at spiritual birth. We get natural talents at physical birth, but we get spiritual talents or abilities at spiritual birth. We call them spiritual gifts. The word is charisma. Charis is the root of that word, which means grace. It's a grace giftlet. It's something that God has given, not because we earn it, but he chooses to give to his people. It's a tool. He says, hey, you, you take the jaws of life. Hey, you take the air tank. Hey, you take the hose. Hey, you take the ladder. And he gives a different tool to each of us and says, now, there's a rescue that's got to happen here. Let's all get on board. Let's take our tool, identify what it is, train in its usage, and then go for it. And collectively, impact will be huge. Well, there are several teachings. I want to start into the four teachings. We won't get through these. But let me just kind of get us started on these four teachings, okay? Number one, of four basic truths you need to know about the idea of spiritual gifts. One, that every Christian is given at least one spiritual gift to be used in rescuing broken people. So at least one gift. 1 Peter 4.10 reads this way. As each one has received a special gift. Notice that each one, meaning every Christian has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here's this idea of of tools. So, so if I were to ask you right now, don't answer out loud, don't raise a hand. But if I were to say, hey, can you pretty firmly say X, Y, Z, whatever it is, this is my spiritual gift. If you can, you're way ahead of most Christians. I'm amazed how many Christians go, I don't really know. And what do you mean by spiritual gifts? Or, and I go, you're in the family of God and you've been how long a Christian and you don't know your gifts? Oh my goodness, you're you don't have your tool. How, how are you going to help? Well, that's the problem. Until we get the right tools and know that we have been wired to use those tools, we're not going to be very effective, at least not as effective as we could otherwise be. So we want to understand he gives to each a tool. Now, you need to know this, that these gifts that he gives may or may not line up with natural abilities. They may not. And so what you want to do is think, okay, how will I know? By the way, do you know that the two greatest preachers of the 19th century, the two greatest preachers probably D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Moody in Chicago. You got Spurgeon in England, in London. You look at those two guys, different as could be in this regard, both of them, though they were uneducated, in reality they were self-educated. But do you know that Moody had bad grammar and he stuttered and became one of the great preachers of all time? It was not his natural ability. If you look at, if you look at Spurgeon, Spurgeon was a genius. He was brilliant. And he was a, a born orator. Incredible. And people hear him say, wow! You see, the reality is... It, it doesn't matter whether it's a, how do you know then? It has to do with the anointing of what happens to those that are the beneficiaries of the use of that gift. For instance, I've never thought of myself as a, as a great orator speaker. I, I know better than that. People don't clamor to hear me talk. But I see something happen that goes beyond what's natural. 
I say, I, I don't ever like preaching. I, because why? I'm not naturally a preacher. I'll tell you a story maybe in this series, maybe even next week that, that kind of underscores that. But I mean, I just never, this is not what I would choose to say, this is what I'm good at, this is what I should be doing. Except I saw God anointing it and using it in ways I go, that didn't make sense. It just doesn't, you know, if I were a great speaker, wow, 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 but, but oh, you're not. But how come there's a, there's a change in so many lives? Well, that's because God has he's given me a gift. So you don't want to just say, what am I good at? But what happens when I utilize this gift or, or, or this, this particular ministry? Do I see something anointed about it? That's why you will see when we get into discovering our gifts, you're going to have to try out different things that you think, oh, I saw when I did that, something unusual happened as a result. You do not look just simply at what goes out or what you do, but what happens because of what you've done. That's how you really know it's been supernaturally anointed. Then you say that's probably in a gift area. I do think this. I think God stewards well and that the norm is it goes hand in hand with natural abilities. But you get an unusually blessed result. That would be a spiritual gift. Know this, that the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts that God gives, are not to be mistaken with the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22, 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That every Christian should be emulating the Spirit's work in our life and seeing the fruit come out in all of those arenas. Not true of spiritual gifts. God gives a gift or a few gifts perhaps as he chooses to do. Very important to know that. One other point before we move to point two and that's this. Please don't be deceived. You need to know this. It is very, very possible to some, for someone to use a spiritual gift, and particularly a public figure who uses their gift well and sees incredible fruit from the use of the gift and who may well not be walking in the fruit of the Spirit at all or walking in the Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit at all. Countless, countless church leaders and spiritual leaders have shared after the fact that for years God was blessed with incredible, credible fruit. But I was having an affair. I was not even in the word. I wasn't this and I wasn't that. But people didn't know it. And they have to assume, oh, because look how God's using them. Therefore, oh, they're walking close to the Lord. Don't you ever think that I'm walking close to the Lord because of anything I do publicly. It's because of who I am privately. That's why, by the way, it's so important to have life on life around you. But first point, very important one. Let me move to number two. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the one who supplies the gifts and does so as he pleases. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So look at 1 Corinthians 14, 1. I'm going to put it up in just a second. Let me, let me go back. Let me say that we don't choose our gifts. We don't choose our gifts. What we do is we discover our gifts. Do you hear that? We discover our gifts. Now, some disagree with that statement, at least in part, because of the text, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And it goes like this in verse 1, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy. 
He said, okay, wait, it tells here the Christian's reading says you should be prophesying. There's a gift, and therefore everybody should have that gift. Maybe there are other gifts everybody should have. Please don't misread this text. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the people in Corinth. It's a church that's really been messed up, and they're needing some truth badly. Paul is writing to them. And when he uses the word you, he uses there the second person plural, which means he's talking about a collection of people. He's talking to the church at large. And what he's saying is simply this. Hey, you Corinthians, you guys need, you've got a lot of issues going on. You need somebody among you to prophesy. You see, prophecy is declaring the truth of God. I'm prophesying right now. When I'm in the word, explaining it to you and giving it to you, I'm, I'm prophesying. And so he says, you need somebody to come along and prophesy. In other words, declare the truth of God because you've got to get in one with my thoughts and the way I'm teaching, not the way that you've been living. That's all he's saying there. So don't, don't think of it that, that, okay, I get to choose my gift. And because you don't get to choose your gift, don't be jealous or envious because someone else got a gift you wanted or disappointed because of the gift you got. That can easily happen. People, gosh, you know what? I'm only X, Y, Z. Wish I were A, B, or C. How come I can't do? No, no, no. God says, I'm going to give you exactly what you need, and it'll be perfect for you. Trust me. So it'll lead either to pride or to jealousy. Third point, and I'll quit after this one. Simply goes like this. Christians have different gifts. No one has all the gifts. Romans 12, 6, the beginning of that verse says, And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. So, very important that we understand the importance of all the gifts and the need for other people. This is why the church is so vitally important. I've got a friend, and he and I just disagree. We just disagree. He says, I don't need the church. He loves the Lord, but he says, I don't need the church. He says, well, I got my small group. I got my small group of guys. I go, no. It, tell me this. If it's your small group of guys, who's the authority? Who has the right to the sacraments to dis disperse them? But tell me this. In your little group, do you have all the gifts? No, you just got a very small sampling of the gifts in that little group. You need a bigger body of people where you've got 50, 100, 20, 30, more. Just get people around you that have got some gifts. You need each other. The church is that vitally important. You know, many of you members of this church, you know that my story is that I just, I'm not gifted in, in, in mercy, um, it's just not an area that I'm strong in. Uh, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't show mercy, that I don't go to hospitals, but I hate going to hospitals. I hate because I'm put to use something that I'm not gifted. I've got, everybody can show mercy. It's not an out because you're not gifted in some area. But, but at the same time, our leadership says, look, Randy, that's not where you need to spend your time. Do you know I can't remember? I maybe have gone to a hospital in the last years otherwise, but I don't, rec I don't remember when I've gone to the hospital. See, friends or or whoever that I'm visiting, the leadership in the church that I, I rightfully should be visiting. I don't remember when I've gone without Carol. Why? She has the gifts. 
We walk in, many of you heard me illustrate this way. I walk in, there's somebody that got tubes in their chest and their nose and coming out everywhere. And they're laying there and say hi to you when you walk in. And Carol looks up and she says, oh, bless your heart. And, and I don't say it, but I'm thinking, do you think they really need all those tubes? That just seems, <laughs> seems a little overboard the way they're acting. They seem pretty, I don't know. You don't want me visiting you in a hospital. What you want is someone gifted to do so. Now, on the other hand, I don't mind going to the most agnostic. I don't care who they are, how intellectual they are, how well-versed they are, and they want to, and let's engage in me, share my faith with that, that person. I don't get nervous. I don't have a thought about it. I go, hey, let me do that. I look forward to that moment. But many of you would go, oh, I would cringe if I had to do that. Well, aren't you glad that we don't have to major in every area? We major in the area that God has given us a tool and equipping specially given by him to do. Now we do other things, but we don't major there. We major on the majors. I've got a friend who was in my discipleship group years ago. I didn't realize about this about him, but he, he just had this fear of, of public speaking. And I asked him if he'd share his story at a group we were going to have. And he said, yes, it was very nice. He said, sure. And a week beforehand, maybe three weeks later, uh, after I've asked him, he calls me and says, hey, Randy, you got to let me off this responsibility. I, I can't tell him. I can't do it. I can't. Get, and I said, why? He said, i got to sleep. I hadn't slept in three weeks. i got to get some sleep. <laughs> I said, man, I didn't realize that that was. He said, I just, now I'll give you all the money you want. I'll give you whatever you ask for, you know. <laughs> but just please don't make me speak. I said, well, of course not. And so I took all of his money. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, the truth of it is we all have different areas. And we need to focus on it. And that's the beauty of God's teaching. I'll get into this later in the series, but it's an appropriate point here. Be very careful when somebody tells you you need a specific gift, such as the gift of tongues. And we're going to go into that gift as, as well as the other gifts through the series. But please, don't, when somebody says, oh, everybody should have this gift, yeah, no. It's not a gift if everybody's supposed to have it unless it's salvation. So let's be very, very careful there. Now with that, let me close. I close with simply an analogy, a picture. Can you imagine being a soldier in Afghanistan? And you're in the midst of the most fierce, fierce battle in an area that is as dangerous as it comes. And one morning you wake up as a soldier and somehow you get so confused you think you're on vacation. And so instead of putting on your fatigues, you put on your golf clothes. Instead of picking up your XM25, you pick up your sand wedge that you happen to have taken with you. And you have your sand wedge and you think, what a great day to go out to the desert and practice my sand. I'm going to just take a day and enjoy myself. And so you go out and you, you know, you practice a little bit and coming home, you say, oh, there's a nice little cafe there. And a bunch of the Taliban happen to be standing around, so you go in and you, you just have a little drink and then head on back to the barracks. You'd say, you'd be a fool for doing that. You're putting yourself out of the realm for which you exist while you're there. Well, that's what God has said to us. He said, look, many of us are waking up every day and we're putting on our leisure clothes and we're putting on our, our, our things that we like to enjoy. And, and, but let me tell you, he says, no, 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 you're in a war. The war began at Calvary's cross in reality. The war was won there, but however, 
the fighting still goes on because we're fighting for every inch of the kingdom of God. And there is a broken people out there throughout this world, many of which need to be brought into the kingdom, others in the kingdom that need to be served because we stay broken people. Redeemed, yes, but still broken. And you've got this gift, go give it to them. You got this gift, go give it to them. Go and do that. You know what happens when we do that? We wake up, we have purpose. We say, ah, no, I'm alive. Boy, this makes sense. But those of us here that are waking up and saying, okay, what about me today? How do I help me? How do I make me a better me today? How can I help me enjoy life more today? Let me tell you, it's not adding up. And we'll get to the end of life and we'll scratch our head and say, what was that all about? I'm telling you, Christian, let's discover our gifts. Hang through this series. Podcast what you miss. Especially go back to number one. Make sure you get the mindset. And then let's start building on these tools until we then discover where do we work with our tools. And I'm telling you, something's going to happen in your life, my life, and this church's life. Go to the cross where it begins. See, the love of a Savior who gives us the gifts, who redeems us so that we have the right mindset, who tools us so we can serve. Go to the cross of Christ always. Seeker, start there. Find the love of Christ till you fall in love with him. And then get your gift and enjoy its use. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you would grant us to be a people here that, that truly discover, develop, and start using effectively our gifts. Where we are using our gifts, God anoint the usage in ways as never before. May something happen collectively in this church as we all, full speed ahead, start taking our gifts and using them to your honor and your glory. Lord, teach us, show us. We invite you to do a great work. And for those of us that haven't met you, Lord, we now just say, God, would you show us your love at Calvary's cross? And may that love transform us so that we might be part of a rescuing people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.